Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. ESG has become established as a key business theme as companies and investors seek to navigate the climate crisis, energy transition, social megatrends, mounting regulatory tension, and pressure from other stakeholders. The rapidly evolving landscape has become inundated with acronyms, buzzwords, and lingo, and we aim to break these down with industry experts. Welcome to ESG Currents, brought to you by Bloomberg Intelligence, your guide to navigating the evolving ESG space one topic at a time. I'm Rob Duboff, Senior ESG Analyst. And I am Shaheen Contractor, Senior ESG Strategist, and we are your hosts for today's episode. Today we'll be speaking with Audrey Kaplan, who is the Senior Portfolio Manager of the Rubico Global Gender Equality Equity Fund. That's a tongue twister, but I got it. And we're going to dig into all things gender diversity and how this can be analyzed and integrated into investments. And just a fun fact, Audrey tells me that the Rubico Global Gender Equality Fund is the oldest actively managed gender fund out there. Yeah, gender lens investing is one of the more popular strategies in ESG. In 2022, there were $4.7 billion in assets under management and gender funds. There's no doubt that diversity and gender equality are the social goals worth pushing for, but it also makes uh, for good investing. There have been a number of studies, including from Bloomberg Intelligence, showing that applying a gender lens can help reduce risk or lift financial performance. BlackRock actually just released a study in November that companies with more gender-balanced workforces outperform their least balanced peers in terms of return on assets. So a lot of exciting things to dig into. Oji, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Nice to be here. Oji, maybe start us off by breaking down what gender lens investing is. In other words, you know, what are the different facets of gender that you seek to analyze? Sure. Well, at the very basic core level, gender lens investing strategies are, are ones that um, take into consideration gender-based factors across the investment process so that they can advance gender equality and better inform their investment decisions. So that's a very broad uh, definition. Specifically at Robico, where we've been managing this gender equality fund for eight years, we launched it in 2015, it takes the form of an actively managed portfolio that invests in not only global companies that are sustainable, but high quality companies that in- incorporate gender equality leadership. And I don't mean just leadership at the senior levels. We're looking at um, companies to see if they're eligible for the portfolio based on five pillars. 
those five pillars or focus areas are, first, we look for diverse workforces at all levels, including the board level, uh, whether that's junior level management, across the whole workforce, senior management, executive level. Second, we look for pay equality. And, and sometimes those figures are very difficult to find, but we want companies that are focused on pay equality. Third, we're looking at talent retention metrics and what uh, a company is doing to retain their diverse and inclusive uh, talent. And fourth, uh, the systematic, uh, we want a company to have a systematic approach to employee engagement. So we want a good percentage of their em employees uh, to answer workforce surveys, to be able to break it down by gender and other aspects. And finally, fifth, we want also companies that are committed to the well-being of their employees. And it sounds like a lot, uh, yeah. these five pillars. Uh, we could talk more about you know, more detail on these pillars as we go along. You kind of touched on this before, but where are you getting all this data from? It is a lot. And you know, I know some companies are very good about giving a lot of this data and others are not. Right. There's definitely challenges with the availability of data. Um, we like to look at it as a mosaic. We're lo looking at 38 different factors, in fact, and we source that data from different different types of data. We uh, you can rely on company survey data, and we do that using the S&P CSA, which is corporate sustainability data, uh, where a company completes a survey. But only about 50% of the developed market companies actually complete those surveys. Another source of data is publicly available company reports. Many companies now have sustainability reports or just other areas of their website that focus on uh, DNI metrics. Um, and so you can get a lot of publicly available data. A third source of data are big data sets like Glassdoor. Okay. And, th and there's many other examples of big data sets, but we could pull out data from that to build up our third universe of 38 different factors that lead into each of those five pillars in order for us to assess whether a company is a leader in gender diversity or not. That's a lot of metrics. Yes. Can you tell me? Your favorite metrics? What do you find the most useful? It's definitely a difficult question to ask favorite, but I think, um, you know, a lot of our peers looking at the board level or executive percent of women at the board are, uh, because it's readily available. Right, and the easiest. Yes, mm -hmm. and it, it's easy to find it and it's historically available for back testing. Yeah. Um, but we prefer digging a lot deeper into talent retention. So if I had to mm -hmm. say the number one thing, I'm looking for is m many companies may start with an equal at the junior levels equal number of of uh, male and female ratio, but as time goes on, um, they're not moving up the levels of management. Mm -hmm. So I think that talent retention is very important. We look at the workforce breakdown, not just the total workforce or even women in all management, we actually look at a ratio of women in junior management versus senior management, as well as then looking at women at uh, in revenue generating positions. Not all companies report this, but we have a saying that transparency is, is good. You know, yeah, more transparency is better. So we like uh, to see revenue generating data. We also, specifically in technology companies, we're looking for a percent of women in STEM roles. 
Okay. Because it is harder to find balanced companies uh, in the technology sector, in the telecommunications sectors, than it is, for example, in consumer staples or healthcare. So in those sectors, we like to see a good amount of women in, in technology roles. Mm. Can I add one point? Just that, you know, this talent retention, the whole pipeline issue, that is actually my favorite thing to analyze. I find that to be a huge issue, right? And the way we see it is if you look at the, you know, the share of women in the top and the bottom pay quartile, there's a huge difference in organizations. And in my mind, that tends to drive things like the gender pay gap, for example. Yeah. Um, the gender pay gap is a much more difficult yeah, yeah. Quantity or factor to yeah, analyze true. because very few companies report that data. In 2022, only 17% of companies globally publish any version of a gender pay mm -hmm. gap. I thought it would be less. Uh, this is 17% is in developed markets. Okay, okay. If okay, we were yeah, to include fine. emerging markets, it would it's probably not even 10%. Then okay. I take that back. Uh, yes. Yeah. So 17% is across the world's developed market companies um, as defined by MSCI developed and emerging markets. Um, but of those 17% that publish any kind of gender pay gap figures, of course, first of all, there's data comparability issues where they might they might make certain adjustments, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, or they might include um, total comp, or or exclude variable comp, or they might, um, yeah. In addition to adjusted, they might ca calculate mean. Some do median. It's very difficult to make it comparable across all of the companies. But there has been a lot of legislation in recent years uh, that advances equal pay efforts. Uh, just as one example in the UK, there was there's something called the Equality Act on gender pay gap reporting. It's been in effect since 2017. So now the vast majority of listed companies do report a standardized gender pay gap. Uh, and other companies too, like Spain, are doing a lot more in this area since 2019. But there's still a lot of disparities. 92% of Spanish companies now report a gender pay data. 92% of US companies don't. Mm. Yeah. So that means only 8% of US companies are reporting gender pay gap. And in addition to the poor showing in the US, developed economies like Japan, who have a lot of companies, a lot of publicly listed companies, uh, or even Hong Kong, they're reporting less than, even less than that, less than 8% report their gender pay gap. So we try to um, analyze gender pay gap as much as the data is available to us. And when I dig into to numbers like, you know, looking at the, the top versus the bottom, think about the pipeline, you know, it's it's actually not even the very top because I feel like you have mechanisms like quotas in place in some markets um, for, for board members. But then, you know, when you look right below senior managers, um, you know, that's really where there's, you know, maybe not as much. And that's also a little underreported. Um, so I guess in terms of... Um, in terms of quotas, you know, what are your thoughts on that? And, and you know, do those do a good job of actually developing throughout the, the pipeline? Or is that really just setting a number for the top and, and that's where the focus goes? Yeah, I think that um, quotas is a very interesting topic because I do think that quotas have been 
successful. Uh, if you look at a country like Norway, which was one yes. of the first to introduce quotas. I think. Right. Now you have, I'm not sure the exact figure, but it's almost 40% women on boards. But then what you're not seeing is that following up with women in right. C-suites and women in executive positions. And a lot of research shows, and, and even case studies, if you look into some academic case studies, you need more women in executive positions to to help propel more transparency and wage gap and 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 other policies like does a company have a board diversity policy does it have an anti-harassment policy you want to get women into those senior level positions to help help champion those efforts so i think quotas have been successful in bringing the issue to the forefront and raising the level of women or, or the percentage of women on boards but it it hasn't done enough or it hasn't been like i said in a paper recently the hammer <laughs> to get women into enough executive positions i mean there's still only six percent women ceos i believe in the msci world benchmark and maybe 11 percent cfos it might be 12 percent now and yeah quotas haven't really help nudge the needle very much. Right. And I would say, you know, it, it raises, you know, I'm, I, I do a lot of work on corporate governance and it raises questions there. If you're, you know, if you need to fill a board seat um, to satisfy a quota, but, you know, you don't have anyone in your own ranks who has operational experience with the company or, um, you know, if there's not enough uh, women CFOs out there that bring the financial expertise, um, then, you know, you, there are some concerns about you're just bringing in the same limited pool of candidates. You really need to grow the the candidate pool, not just fill out right. things at the top. And, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that some people think that gender quotas are unjust, and and we should acknowledge that that you know it could trigger backlash against women in the workforce or even more competitive behavior um, to get those quota yeah. spots, yeah. Yeah. but. Well, the EU Parliament last year did initiate quotas across all EU exchanges uh, so that companies have to have 40% on their governing boards. And if they fail that, they need to disclose and explain. Mm -hmm. And at least maybe this will ha uh, give companies an objective way to think about their hiring practices. And we actually do, we score every company whether we invest in it or not. And one thing we give more score is if they have a diversity hiring practice in place. Hmm. So you're saying that, you know, that trickle down effect, if I may call it, of quotas at the board level doesn't really trickle down that much. So I guess my question is if, you know, how do you identify companies that are well, let's call it gender washing, or, or I don't know, you can give it a term, but actually making progress and doing something versus companies that are just uh, telling a story. I Checking guess. a box. Yeah. Checking yeah. a box, yeah. Well, it goes back to my background in, in data analysis and quantitative scoring. And I, I know this sounds really boring, but to get under all of the marketing and the shiny materials and the and the websites that might make certain claims, we do want to really find gender-leading companies that are diversity-friendly. Um, and so we're looking for diligent disclosure of their gender data, and we score them on, on all of these different metrics. 
things like gender, I call them gender stay policies. Do Does a company have a policy that not only attracts women but retains them, such as policies on flexible hours or policies on paid parental leave, policies um, or better paid parental leave than government mandates? Support for hybrid working is one that we look for. I mentioned earlier equal opportunity recruiting policies. Now, companies, if they want to retain or attract women, are going to make those public policies to analyze the same way we analyze annual statements and P&L and balance sheet and cash flow statements. We are actively analyzing the data about each company and scoring them um, from you know everything from entry level to seats c-suite we're looking at the data so how do you look between different sectors though because obviously looking at industrials versus financials versus uh, service businesses obviously there are um you know fundamental differences in, in the the manner of work do you look at that at all when you look at gender lens investing um, we do. At this time, we're currently ad adjusting the gender scores by sector and by country. Um, if we didn't do that, of course, we, we're also managing a portfolio, and we do uh, want a well-diversified portfolio um, with the best stocks in each region, in each country. If we didn't make adjustments for just at a very high level, we wouldn't have anything probably in Japan. Right. Because in Japan, there's only 28% of women in the workforce. And that was in 2022. And it has extremely low levels of female re representation everywhere across company management. So they only have 4% women at the executive level, 10% in senior management. If we didn't make some adjustments, we wouldn't buy Japan, Japanese companies. But we are, we're adjusting for that so that we can get the best D&I leading companies in Japan. And we do that by sector as well, within sectors. It's much easier to find gender leading companies in what people might think of as traditionally women's sectors, like in the healthcare sector or the pharmaceutical sector, or even the consumer staples because everyone's out there shopping. Uh, and, and But it is it is harder in telecommunications, in materials companies, but we adjust the gender scores within each sector so that we can continuously buy the top quality companies mm -hmm. uh, using financial metrics, but also top in gender leadership. You spoke about diversification, which makes me think of performance. So I'm just curious, how do you balance performance with gender? Well, we have done a lot of our own research, some of it published when, you know, as far back as 2015, some in 2020, and more recently, we've done our own research, that gender diversity does help you identify more profitable companies, more innovative companies. And by profitability, these are hard metrics. Companies have higher ROICs, that is, return on invested capital. So separately, we have research that shows companies with more profitability tend to outperform in the long run. So you, if you combine this together, the gender metrics help you identify high quality companies. High quality companies will outperform in the long run. And, and we can show that to some extent with our track record. We're, we have an 11% return annualized over eight years since the launch of the portfolio. 
That's more or less in line with our benchmark, but considering we're excluding half the companies in the universe because we won't invest it if they're not in the top half of gender metrics. Uh, so it's, it's reducing our universe, but also we're trying to invest in the top com companies in that universe. Um, so our, our portfolio stands on it on its return. And just to dig in on the a little bit more on the performance side, because you know I, you sometimes hear the case that you know it's just the good companies are managed well, but you know I think underneath there's certainly um, opportunities that are created when you look at the diversity. I mean, certainly in ESG world, diversity is a strategy for not having exposure to discrimination and things like that. But there's definitely opportunities there, right? I mean, you, you see businesses, um, particularly as that, that cater to women or the looking at new markets where having women in leadership kind of adds that opportunity. Yeah, I think that what you're asking about here is the, uh, is the opportunity outside of just gender metrics of a company. Um, as, as sustainable investing has progressed, people who choose these investments want companies to have impact um, on their products, for example, products for women and girls. Mm -hmm. we, we see a lot of people or a lot of investors come to us and say, how can you show us that these, or what is what are these companies in this portfolio doing specifically for women and girls, other than helping them advance in, in, in the workforce? And so increasingly over the last 18 months, um, we are looking at the companies on their products and services as well. So for example, we have one of our healthcare companies is a leading drug maker in the development of breast cancer treatments, for, for example. And its main aim is to improve the outcome of patients with breast cancer. And this, of course, correlates very well with a gender-leading portfolio. On top of the, that, the company has a top 4% gender score. So very highly rated because it has a workforce composed half of women with a very good retention from junior to senior management and engagement across the organization where it can break down those engagement questions by gender and see where it could improve, continuous improvement. So this, this is just one example, but we have another company that operates in uh, beauty and grooming and healthcare and feminine products, and it's a, one of our top 10 holdings, and it's a top 1% gender company on the 38 metrics that I mentioned earlier. Um, and it might just be that we have a technology company that has um, almost 50, 45% of their board is women, and it's leading in women in STEM positions. Mm -hmm. And of course, that's you know a topic that everyone's talking about outside of investing, just how to get more women and, and young girls into uh, technical positions because AI is so important going forward and in, into the future and women don't want to be left behind in those areas. Yeah, absolutely. And just being in a tight labor market, having, you know, unlocking more of the workforce in some of these higher skilled jobs, I think absolutely benefits everyone. Yeah. And... We do look at our portfolio relative to our benchmark. I could I can tell you, for example, that the workforce diversity across our companies is forty one percent better. So if you look at the the number of the percent of women versus men, 
And then you look at our companies, it's 41% better than our benchmark. I could tell you that on equal remuneration, we're 30% better. On health and well-being policies, we're 41% better. Of course, it's hard to explain all the technical details behind these definitions, but we feel we're having impact by investing in these companies that are helping to elevate diversity and inclusion in their workforces, as well as with their products, if, if that is um, something we're able to do. And aside from just identifying and investing in these companies, is there any engagement to what you guys do, meeting with companies and kind of pushing maybe underperformers or companies that are maybe slipping to get better? I mentioned earlier on this discussion is we only invest in companies that are above neutral on our gender score. That It's not entirely true because we will invest in up to six to eight companies a year out of our approximately 50 to 60 companies that are below neutral. And then we engage with them and we meet with them approximately quarterly. We talk to them about where they score versus their peers. And we engage and discuss with them on where we think that they can improve. And so, for example, there's a, a medical device company, a global medical device company we've been engaging with for over four years. And one of the things, it's one of the biggest companies in this space. And um, over the period of four years, we, you know, we've been discussing with them about wage gap analysis. And for the first time ever in, in their annual report at the end of 2022, they've reported their first ever pay gap analysis. And as I said, disclosure, 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 because the more you disclose, the more you can evaluate and the more you can make plans um, to approve. Interesting. And Oji, how do companies respond to these engagements? Are they excited to talk to you or do they not want to talk to you? You know, I think the vast majority of companies do want to talk to to us. Well, Robico has a very long history of active ownership. So we do vote in things like remuneration policies and well, anything that could be brought up for voting in, in our active engagement process. So we're quite well known in that area. In terms of the engagement, I think companies themselves don't always know what their peers are doing because it's not always avail readily available publicly. It may just be available in the survey data. And so without telling them, you know, their exact competitors or peers, we can raise to them what their peers are doing and how they're calculating wage gap figures, for example, or, or any other metrics that we're looking at. So I would say that most companies do want to hear from us uh, and want to engage with us. I mean, we just had a an engagement meeting recently with one of the biggest leisure companies. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're they're all actively also trying to improve on how they calculate and consider these metrics for their workforces. Interesting. With unemployment so low, <laughs> you mentioned yeah. they want to attract a diverse candidate. The only last thing I'd like to say about our engagement is it, it, it's we've been doing this since the product was launched in 2015. But as of 2022, we ate, we made it a little bit even more diverse. It's not just about gender. We are also talking to companies about LGBTQ uh, metrics. We're talking to them also about racial diversity and anti-bias policies. Great. So in terms of 
of uh, I think the regulators, you know, not to get too far down the rabbit hole, but, you know, they're moving away from the discussion of, you know, what is a gender fund? Are you telling your investors this? But also, you know, what's the impact? Investors also want to know, you know, I'm putting my money in this fund. You know, is it actually driving positive change? So how do you think about impact or progress at the portfolio level? Well, for us, we look at we can look at all of our metrics versus our MSCI World benchmark. We're also looking at our engagement program and we review it each year, the companies we've been engaging with and we give them a score and um, consider whether they're making progress or not. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's not an easy answer exactly how to measure impact. Um, it's one of the most challenging. I feel like that's part, a very big part of the backlash. Yes. So, Ajay, what is the metric or topic that is the biggest challenge for you? I think that just gives us as analysts food for thought and now audience things to think about. Right. Well, there's both short-term challenges and long-term challenges. Okay. On the short term, if you look at the markets this year, everybody's been talking about the Magnificent Seven. I'm not mm. going to name names, but some of the Magnificent Seven don't score in the top half of gender-diverse companies. And so the short-term challenge has been to achieve a, a very strong performance in a year where several of the companies that have been the leaders of performance this year are ineligible right. or maybe don't even want to engage with us in some cases. Mm. And th that makes them ineligible. Right. That's the, the short term challenge because long term track record, we know that high quality companies, ones that are diverse tend to outperform, but short term performance is a challenge. But a longer term issue that I think many people thinking about social issues in general agenda specifically, are probably thinking about was the U.S. Supreme Court case that was announced at the end of June 29th this year, Students for Fair Admissions, the race-based affirmative action programs in college admissions were um, the U.S. Supreme Court held that it violated equal protection and, and right. various legal ramifications of that. And I think that the, this concerns this, I wonder what that will mean for um, groups pursuing anti-DE&I, diversity, equity, and inclusion matters, at least here in the U.S. and U.S. corporate policy. Um, so this, does con this is concerning. I think it is a challenge how to think about this going forward. Yeah, we, we've heard discussions of that as well. And you've, even before then, you've seen some companies kind of pull back their DE&I, you know, their officer uh, may have you know, left without any real explanation from the company. And, you know, it, it is definitely concerning. Yeah, it, it is. It is concerning. But hopefully there is, you know, as a woman in investment management in an industry, we haven't talked about the industry, but the portfolio management industry only has 12 percent women portfolio managers. Yeah. And in 2018, five years ago, we only had 10% wow. women portfolio managers. It's very slow progress. Uh, but hopefully we have some momentum and can continue making progress despite these, these challenges. Yes. And maybe on that positive note, Audrey, thank you so much for joining us. 
You can find more information on gender investing and a whole array of other topics by going to BIESG on the Bloomberg Terminal, which opens up Bloomberg Intelligence, our research dashboard. If you have an ESG quandary or burning question you would like to ask BI expert analysts, please send us an email at ESGCurrents at Bloomberg.net. Thank you. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.